everyone, and welcome to this conversation presented by White House Custom Color. I'm Jed Toffer. Thanks for listening. You know, my wife Vicki and I have owned and operated our photography studio, V Gallery, for 20 years now. White House has been our lab for the last 16 of those years, and we could not be happier. White House is a family-run business, just like ours. If you haven't already, check them out at whcc.com. And if you want to drop me a line, feel free to email me at jed at whcc.com. Okay, Julia Woods. <laughs> Hello once again. Hello, Jed. <laughs> um, let's just jump right in. Tell me who you are and what you do and whatnot. All right. Well, I'm a transformational coach focused mostly or passionate about relationships, mm. focused mostly on marriages, walking with couples, teaching them to help fight for the marriage they want rather than fighting for themselves. Mm. And um, so that's what I do. Now we've been discussing, we, we've, we've, we've put together three episodes so far on relationships um, and the different things that happens. We've talked about um, connection and disconnection. We've talked about three most common mistakes uh, made in a relationship. We've dove into those. And then we talked about a system that you've put together with three different phases. And we went over a couple befores and afters and kind of what that looks like um, with the transitional phase and using that system in between. We've covered a lot of different things. And now there's this one. And I... <laughs> And I'm saying it like this because in all fairness, initially we said we were going to talk about all those things and then we did, but then just, just today I discovered that there's this, this fourth one, right? Mm -hmm. And the way that you have presented it is that a, this is so interesting the way this is framed to me. We're, we're going to talk about the attraction that creatives have to depression. And I, I'm going to tell you, like, for me right away, like the way that that is framed, there's a red flag there because it insinuates that with an attraction, there's a choice. Oh, yes. Oh, baby. <laughs> well, Because a lot of the, a lot of the stuff that we've been discussing today has to do with uh, victimhood mentality versus uh, responsibility mentality, right? Hmm. And, and we've discussed it already. We discussed it in the first episode of this at, at length. So if you want to check that out, you maybe should. Um, if you have some questions like where we're going with this regarding choice, because I think that's the big piece. You're not saying there's not such a thing as victims. Sure. You're not saying that, right? Mm -hmm. You're not saying that there is no such thing as depression. I'm not, I don't even mean to make that link. The, the big piece to me that I find interesting is that there's this attraction that creatives in particular have to depression. Mm -hmm. Is that, am I really getting that right? That is what I'm proposing. Yes. Okay, now I will shut up for a bit <laughs> and let you flesh that out a little bit for me. Cause we haven't discussed this one. We have point. not discussed this. This is off the cuff. This is what's wrestling rolling inside of me. Okay. Yeah. So, you know, as, as a coach specializing in couples, it brings a lot of couples that work together in to me to work with. So I get to see a lot of a variety of couples and, and I see some consistencies that they're business partners. You're saying like they, they're business they're, partners, they're they married work together. or they're, they're, they're together right. and they, and they also work together in the same. Yeah, and they're, they're in the creative field. Right. Right. So <clears throat> I get to see patterns 
that I wouldn't normally see. I can often think, well, that's just an anomaly. But then when I see it over and over and I'm like, whoa, okay, no this seems to be consistent. All right. Yeah, right. So <clears throat> here, here's just a bird's eye view of what I'm proposing. And then we can go as uh, deep dive as much as you want. But I believe that creatives have a unique way of seeing the world and it's beautiful, right? I believe that creatives have a sensitivity to seeing the world that is designed for them to make a difference through their creative outlet in the world. And it's beautiful. And I believe that life is, is there, life is a battle between good and evil, right? And our life is, we have the power of our time on earth to create good and meaning, or we have the ability of our time on life to create evil and create death. And it's a hundred percent up to us, but there is a battle that we get to understand is being fought for our life and for that um, death or life experience that we get to choose to create. So, and I think art is very much that way. I think art can bring life, art can bring difference, it can bring meaning, and it can also bring pain and it can bring suffering. So, so I believe that creatives were given an, an additional dose of sensitivity. Now, good wants to use that to create meaning and beauty and, you know, amazing things in the world. Well, I believe evil wants to use that to take the creative out. And one of the ways that evil uses our sensitivity is we're more sensitive to offense. We're more sensitive to, uh, we see things and we hear things and it, it, has a, a level of pain that I think is a little bit more, a little bit greater to a mindset of a creative. And so when we don't know how to process the hurt, when we don't know how to process the offense, we easily move it into bitterness and resentment. And anger or depression is anger repressed. And so when I do not know how to process the anger burning inside of me in the bitterness and resentment, I am drawn towards depression. Why? Because I, I do not believe that the human body, the flesh and blood human body, it was never designed to be a container for bitterness and resentment and anger. And so it doesn't know how to store it. And so it begins to corrode our thought processes and our way of seeing the world and life begins to become more and more despairing. And I begin to see through limited, limited goggles, what's really true. And life just feels despairing. What's the attract, what's the attractive piece though? To someone that's in, let's say someone is in that state. I'm going to, I'm going to say right now for sake of argument that everything that you've said is absolutely true. Let's base every, let's base this part of the conversation on that. Mm -hmm. um, because it seems to me initially that if, if what you're saying is true, that, and if, and if evil wants to take the creative out, that that would make sense to me because the creative poses a unique threat mm -hmm. because on the flip side, they're capable of creating such Correct. beautiful and amazing things. Right? So if all that's true, then it would stand to reason to me 
that the enemy or that evil or that darkness or however you want to frame it would want to repress that or destroy that. And so that's a target, a unique target mm-hmm. for darkness or the enemy or evil or however you say it. Correct. Given that all of that is true, we're going to move forward on that premise. Then when a, when a creative is targeted um, and, and, and they are dealing with the, because of their um, heightened sensitivity, um, and, and ability to be more offended, maybe not just for themselves, but even for others. Mm-hmm. Right. So maybe they also have a heightened sense of empathy too. Mm-hmm. Um, and it hurts more and it hurts more often and it cuts deeper. Mm-hmm. Why in that state, if that's where they're at and, the, and, and they're not meant to have all the bitterness and anger and pain, why is depression attractive? Like what's the attractive piece? I mean, to say. Okay, so I want so earlier we were discussing self-protection and offering, right? And you said, Well, yeah. I like self-protection, right? So naturally we do. I want to be we protected. prefer self-protection. Yes. But as in a creative, in order to create, I must offer. And offering is uncomfortable. It is it feels risky, it feels vulnerable, it feels scary. Yeah. And so as a creative, I often subconsciously look for ways to avoid creating. Oh, okay. Right. So I am don't realize that subconsciously I'm attracted to things that give me really good permission, really good excuses to not need to create. Because it's because I'm scared. Right. I, I, it, it is uncomfortable. It is a life of risking. It's a life of vulnerability to be a creative mm. that continually puts themselves out. And sometimes that gets uncomfortable. So if I can convince myself. And right, sometimes when I, you fail, you can easily slip into something where it's like, well, I'm no good. And then you're right. am I on the right track. Yes. So if I, you know, so let's say I create something and it gets constructive feedback. But I, but I am, I am prone towards offense. Mm-hmm. What I often find in creatives is we hear the one negative thing and det- and forget all the other nine positive right. things, right? right. So right. we're attracted to the negative, right? We're attracted to that piece that we want to place our value and worth in, mm. right? And so I decide, I I take that in in sensitivity, and I say, okay, it's true. My work isn't that good. Right. So so then I get to make myself right that my work isn't that good. And maybe the person who said it said it in a way that was immature. Right. Poorly, poorly given feedback. There is that piece. Right. Right. So then I can be like, you know, I, I take in what they're saying and how they said it. And and then I begin to decide people are just unsafe. People are just cruel. People are just unkind. So I begin to formulate and make myself right about what I think is true about myself, what's true about others. And if, if I'm not that great and other people are cruel, then my view of life becomes despairing. And now all of a sudden I have every valid reason in my mind why I don't need to give myself any more further or any more deeply to work to my creative process, Mm. but the creative process is a part of what heals the creative, Mm. right? Because in order, I need to get this 
stuff out of me. And so as I repress my ability, my willingness to create, I create more of that inside of me and it begins to get more pressed down and the depression becomes the symptom of, of my desire to buy into the, the um, negative feedback rather than the positive feedback. It's interesting to me because um, in the, in the two and a half, three years that I've been doing this podcast, I've spoken to a few people that have brought up depression, both on, you know, on the podcast and we've actually gone into that. A, a couple of people were very surprising to me. Um, it wasn't like I wasn't surprised by anybody in particular, but there were a couple of people where I was just like, I would have never guessed that about, mm -hmm. about you. And they were pretty open and honest about it. Um, and then probably double that amount of people have spoken to me offline, mm -hmm. uh, both whether it's on the podcast or not, like that, what they weren't necessarily guests, but just people that I've spoken to in the last couple of years. Now, last year was an anomaly in and of itself, you know, all things considered, but I'm even talking about before sure. 2020. This isn't sure. like, oh, COVID happened and our world got rocked and now I'm sad. Right. Or depressed or is, everything's horrible that that's not what i'm referring to that's a different conversation and so when you brought this up it was it, it's extremely intriguing to me um because of course the landscape has shifted quite a bit even in the last 15 months but i i'm really curious i wonder and i'm going to ask this i think to some people when i see them but i wonder how much of it they perceived as a choice, not even, not even before or during, but even in retrospect, right. you know, because a lot of these people have made other choices and have, and have done other things to come out of that. But I feel like they see themselves as now prone to it. In other words, it's like, well, I know I'm capable of going there. Yeah. Well, because they've built a neuro pathway, right? So neuro pathways in our brain, it's like a wheat field. Right. So when I think the same thoughts over and over, it's like walking the same path through a wheat field. Yeah. If I walk through a wheat field one time, nobody's going to know where I walked within a matter of days. But if I walk the same path over and over and over, it begins to become a worn path. Right. And I easily go right back into that path. That, that's all true. I, but I'm saying all this to wonder, like, how how many times or or maybe in your mind is it even possible for a person to have that to be predisposed to having that path uh through nature rather than just nurture in other words if i come from a long line of creatives even right let's say mm -hmm. my dad was an artist and his dad was an artist and his mom was an artist and his mom or her mom yep. was an artist right it could, uh, yep. These things happen, right? I mean, we know, sure. I know photographers that are fourth, fifth generation in their studios, right? Exactly. So right. Th does it not stand a reason then that, that that pathway through the wheat field that you're talking about, that a person can be born genetically predisposed to have a pathway like that already, and then therefore it's maybe that much easier for them to slip into that pathway? Yes, because scientists have proven that our thought, path, our thought patterns are passed through the DNA. And okay. as you said, what you're discovering is you're finding out people had depression that you would have never guessed. Well, often children don't know that their parents and their grandparents dealt with depression, right? Right. So what they come up with, you know, is these thought patterns that just seem 100% normal. They've been thinking them from the time they were born. Well, they so, don't know. But yep. that begs the question then to me, 
how much of it in those cases is a choice? Because it's a choice to think the thoughts they're thinking, right? So but the thought the pattern. Are, if the, if the, okay, yeah, let's make, okay, so let's make the distinction, maybe this is what we need to do, mm -hmm. is make the distinction between the thought patterns that they're predisposed to have, and then maybe still giving those thoughts the time of day. And that's a choice. So my choice is to take responsibility for my thoughts. Regardless right? of how, regardless of how much that path already exists. Exactly. I'm still responsible. I'm responsible for the thoughts that I choose to think and give life to. And give life to. Right. Because this always comes down to like a, a temptation and then an action based on, you know, like to me, it's like we're tempted to do all kinds of different things. Mm -hmm. But the temptation is completely different than giving that that temptation life through thought. And then and then that evolves into action at some point. Right. 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 I, I've heard people say, well, you you've thought about taking me out right now, like when they're in a conversation with somebody and, this, and then the person's, oh, you know, I, I don't even want to go there. But, you know, that those thoughts do exist. But sure. those, those those are completely different than actually mapping something out on how you're going to take somebody down, whether it's gossip or slander or actual physical altercation. And then that right. is even that much different from actually carrying that out. Right. Exactly. Like we're talking about different right. phases here, despite right. maybe in spite of the fact that, that, that path may, may exist genetically. Is that fair to say? Exactly. Right. So I had a genetic, I, I have was born with a genetic, thought process of, you know, that I wasn't valuable and worthy, right? My mother thought that my grandmother mm. thought that my great grandmother thought that, right? right? So I can live out my life. Now, my, my grandmother, my mother are showing me a glimpse of my default future. Mm. If I'm willing to look at their lives, yeah. they're showing me a glimpse of where the thoughts that I'm currently thinking are taking me. We're if doing, I continue yeah. to carry those out, I'm not a victim to them. I don't have to go there as my default future. I get to choose. I get to take responsibility right. for, wait a minute, if I want a different future, what are the thoughts I'm thinking every day that are moving me towards that future, right? Mm. And what I'm proposing is that someone who has a default future of depression has a way of being with offense, has a way of being, it, it really comes down to offense. Like that's the consistent thing I've seen in the, the experiences I've had working with people with depression is that there's a way they get offended that is unique and it's, it's deep and it's real. And, and my experience is that it's, it's what, what good, because often I find that those that experience depression are deeply creative, like there's creatives and then there's deeply creative. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I see it as a trait that's common amongst the deeply creative. Well, you, I mean, you, it's one thing for someone to say, yeah, my kid's really musically inclined. He's really talented. My daughter's taking piano lessons or my kid knows how to paint. And then there's Mozart. Right. You know what I mean? And there's like right. one Mozart throughout history. And there's uh, like 400 million kids that know how to play the piano pretty good. Right? right. Right. 
And so, so I get that there, that those are, that those, that's a tiered structure. There's, there's mm-hmm. a hierarchy there and, you know, talent and how good people are um, at things. And then that, so that would also, are you, are, is there a correlation there between the attractiveness to depression? Do you think? Cause you're saying you see creatives and then you see deeply creative people. Mm-hmm. And that's primarily where you've discovered the depression piece. Yeah. I, I find that it's more, um, there is a unique way that deeply creative people are with offense that, uh, I, my experience is the common, a common symptom in how they process offense is depression. And like, you know, if I plant an apple tree, I'm going to get apples, right? So, so when I look at a fence a certain way, and I choose to be with the fence a certain way, um, I'm going to get, you know, it, it's going to produce depression. Well, because you're not saying that to be offended means to be in the wrong by any means. No. What you're no. saying is there are different ways to deal with being offended. Yes. And to slip into a depression as a result can be tremendously harmful. Right. Right. And I also hear you saying that, that creatives and especially deeply, cre- deeply creative people uh, are, are more prone because, because of their sensitivities to, for various, cause that's not, sometimes that gets posed as a, as a, as a derogatory thing too, but I don't hear you saying that like no. your sensitivity or even being hypersent, like extremely sensitive about something that's not necessarily a problem in and of itself. Um, but I mean, in some ways you, you can do things that are amazing because of that, like creatives do that's but what you're purpose, also saying. Right. There's a flip side to that coin. It, yes. I, all right, yes. This brings me to something. This is a little personal, but I'm going to, I'm going to bring it up. Um, maybe I'll cut this out, but I'm going to bring it up because I think it's, I think it's relevant. I always thought that, okay, so my family is real. Everything's out in the open. You mm-hmm. know, if something happens, we're going to talk about it. We're going to deal with it. Right. Mm-hmm. My wife's mm-hmm. family's the opposite. They're more mm-hmm. private. They don't, you know, if something happens, they're more non-confrontational. Yes. I always thought my whole life until probably 10 years ago. So most of my life, I always thought that one was a strength and one was a weakness. Always painted the, mm. you know, Hey, you're willing to talk about it. You can get it out there. That's, that's obviously a strength. <laughs> oh, and you don't, you don't want to, you want to act like nothing's going on. Well, that's obviously a weakness. You guys got some stuff to work on. <laughs> yeah. Goodness gracious. I didn't know what the heck I was talking about. It was, <laughs> it was, it happened. And then what was pointed out to me very specifically at one point in time, that both of those can be a strength or a weakness, depending on how you use it or how you handle the scenario. Exactly. So the creative piece and the sensitivity piece associated with creatives, though, you know, the, you, maybe you said this at the beginning, like you can do amazing things with creativity that lead to life and light and beauty, or you can do very destructive things with your creativity. It's a, mm-hmm. it's, it's a tool or it's a, it's a part of you that you can use for one side or the other, maybe. Yeah. And the sensitivity piece is kind of the same thing. Yes. The, it's a coin. And, and you yeah. said every coin has two sides to it. And my right. job is to get familiar with both sides, because if I'm only familiar with the side that is good, that I've decided is good, then the dark side of it is, is controlling me and running me. And I don't even realize it. 
what happens or what sort of what 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 advice do you have or suggestions do you have for somebody that that maybe even doesn't realize it but suspects it within themselves mm -hmm. yeah so the, the my experience is the cons, one of the consistent pieces in how they deal with offense is um they they often what a huge struggle for them is to locate what they're feeling yeah right they feel a lot and then right. what they feel comes through their art right but to actually own it and be able to name it and look at it and explore it and investigate it right mm -hmm. that's the piece like because depression is anger repressed and usually my experience with anger is anger is simply a lot of emotions that have gotten so combobligated together that we just decide it's anger. Yeah. We just call it anger. Right. Right. Cause that's right. just, it feels like this burning ball inside of us, but right. it's usually a lot of little emotions, a little things that have built up and now it's just woo, a ball yeah. of anger. Yeah. It's like right? an aggregate of all these other things. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So the powerful thing is with the, the one who's walking in depression is if I can get them to begin to give themselves permission mm. to feel what, what, you know, they, they think that the only way they're supposed to feel is through expression of mm. on whatever format of art whatever they're, medium they they're use, creating. Right? Right? right. But if I can invite them to understand that if they can get in touch with their feelings in a way and connect them uh, just to some ownership and to some responsibility, of, wait a minute, I am feeling something. What am I feeling? If I could put a label on it, what might that label be? Mm. Not right or wrong, right? Because mm. because often when I start working with people in this way, they're like, I don't know what this, I don't know what this emotion is, right? I just feel it, but I have no idea what it's called. Right. And so it's like learning what colors are, right? We got to, well, well, well it is, but the, the, I feel like the difference is when you're dealing with all of that stuff, there's so much shame involved, right? Because yeah. it, like you said it to, 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 to do it without judgment, especially from yourself to yourself, like to right. be able to, to name it right, and to name it without blaming yourself or beating yourself up or really diving into that shame. Cause I feel like sometimes shame is attractive too. Oh, well, that's a part of what's tied into depression, right? Yep. That's a tar part of what's tied yep. into the offense. It I sounds use the so offense. strange. It does. To talk about something like that being attractive, but the more I think about it and the more I mull it over in my mind, shame has been attractive to me in the past because I have discovered that I can use it as a crutch and an excuse, even Absolutely. internally. Absolutely. So, so we're both hero and villain. Hmm. Right. And hero and villain is constantly at war. Yeah. And my villain wants me to buy into shame. Right. My right. villain wants me to buy into offense. Right. Because right? it gets a lot out of that. Yeah. There's a lot of things as a human being I get out of these things like anger and offense. And uh, we do. We, you do. Know, we get a lot of benefits. Mm -hmm. Right. Scientists have proven we all everything we do, we do for a benefit. Mm -hmm. And so if I'm not getting benefits out of it, I'm not going to do it. And right. that was the hardest, that's the hardest thing, especially um, when I'm dealing with something like anxiety or dealing with something like depression or dealing with something like the shame to really step back and say, what am I getting out of this? Mm. Right. What, what am I getting out of this? That's the mm. hardest thing to be willing to acknowledge that I get permission to isolate. Right. I get permission to, um, to not move forward in what I'm creating. 
Yeah. I get a permission to uh, avoid different various things, right? So, so these, this dark side in us as humans is hard to come to grips with, but when we're willing to come to grips with it, it loses its power. Yeah. I mean, that it's that first piece in particular, right? To, to just be willing to acknowledge that this might be happening and then discovering, you know, eventually that it is. And sometimes mm -hmm. that happens in a second. Yeah. Um, to then, to, to then be in a position where you can actually deal with it because you're acknowledging in the first place that it's there. It's that same, we've talked about this a few times today, like the first, the first part in overcoming a problem or getting through a problem or to the other side of a problem is acknowledge that it's, that is acknowledging that it's there. Mm -hmm. and sometimes you have to just acknowledge that maybe it's there to start mm -hmm. with, right? Like mm -hmm. this could be, you, you, again, this, you always say this, or I've always heard you say this, and, and maybe it's from Dan, I think, but what else could be true? Mm -hmm. Because you can say, I'm not depressed. Mm -hmm. I'm feeling, I'm doing great. And then you, yet there's all these things going on. Well, yeah. what else could be true is that you could be depressed. If you were depressed, what'd you want to know? <laughs> yeah, well, then there's that piece. What'd you <laughs> want to know to begin with? And you could say, well, of course I'd want to know, but you might, <laughs> what else could be true? Uh, <laughs> yeah. Well, I could be extremely depressed and I might not want to know at all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right. But so, then once you do that, or once you're even, once you're even, in a position or you put yourself in a position and make the choice to acknowledge stuff like that and go through a process like that, things start to change whether you like it or not, because you've opened the door. Yes. Yeah. It's um, Byron Katie is actually the author that I learned the term. Uh, what can be just as true, if not truer than that. Okay. Um, I learned from her. And she, her testimony is incredible. I don't know if you've heard much about Byron mm -hmm. Katie, um, but her book, Loving What Is. So she was in an intense depression, mm -hmm. even to the point of being in, um, you know, she was completely out of commission in life, just had, you know, had had her children taken away from her oh, yeah. um, and everything. She was in a devastating state of depression. Mm -hmm. And, um, her work is extremely powerful. She's worked with hundreds of thousands of people. You can look her up on YouTube, just, just Google uh, or go to YouTube and search Byron Katie. And she literally live on YouTube videos, walks people through um, their places of suffering in a way that they break through because she invites them to question their reality. Her, her whole message is we must question our thoughts. We must investigate our thoughts because our thoughts will literally kill us. And, yeah, and, what, and when you say question your reality, it's like our perceived reality that we're questioning. Exactly. Because I, I hear you saying that there is an objective reality, like things are a certain way. Sure. Are, we tend to take them and warp them and distort them. And that becomes our perceived reality that we can convince ourselves is the objective reality. Yes. Yes. And I think there's a perceived reality that creatives are drawn to paint in their mind mm. through well, offense. Yep. That's a good right? one. That's a good and they, way to put they it. Don't, we don't realize that there's a natural bent. Like when we're given the gift of sensitivity, within that is ability to distort reality. The other side of that coin. Exactly. Right. right. Oh my. Let me let me finish with the I have a question for you. Um, based on what you've been saying. I it's really powerful. You, you talked about yourself and you talked about how you, you have this, this worn pathway, maybe in the wheat field, we can continue with that uh, visual. Cause I, I, I like that. Um, and you say that 
your your mother had it, your grandmother had it, your great grandmother had it, right? So it's come it's a come on down, and you know you have it, mm-hmm. that propensity, right, or that mm-hmm. neural pathway that's that's kind of there um, as a as a uh, result of maybe gen- genetics or being passed down to you mm-hmm. through nature as opposed to nurture. Mm-hmm. Uh, that would then stand a reason then that that's also been passed down to your children to some degree. Mm-hmm. Is that fair to say? Mm-hmm. What, what sort of things upon realizing this, right? Cause you certainly mm-hmm. weren't born with that knowledge, but at some point you come to grips with that and you, and you even understand sure. that that's part of your objective reality, that that's real. Right. Um, at, what sort of steps do you take or have you taken as a mom? With sure. Your children to then help them navigate that truth. Yeah. So the first thing that I want to invite for context is it's not a problem, right? My great-grandmother had a low self-esteem. My grandmother had one. My mother had one. Those thought patterns got passed to me and they got passed to my children. It's not a problem. Many people go through their life with a low self-esteem and, you know, it's not a problem. It's It's not a problem. It isn't a problem. It's going to create a certain future. Now I get to decide if I want that, is that, if that's a future that works for me or not, right? So there's a lot of what my mother experienced, what my grandmother experienced. That's not the future that I want. So, so no it's gonna, bad, it's gonna, no bad. In and of itself, it lends itself to a certain future, a certain yes. you know, journey, so to speak. But what you're saying is it doesn't have to be that way. I can choose a different future right. if I want. Right. 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 So it took me waking up to recognize that, okay, there are certain thought patterns. What are they? Right. I listen more closely to what my mom says because hmm. I'm like, Ooh, yeah. what, what, what is she thinking behind that statement? Is right. that what I think? Right. Right. So with my children, I invite them to do the same, right? Like I invite them to consider, like, just understand that look at your default future. Like God gave us a gift in our grandparents, our great grandparents uh, and our parents. He's helping us see this is the fruit that comes out of the thoughts that they thought. Right. Right. Now, if you don't want that fruit in your life, you get to take responsibility for what you're thinking and what future's coming towards you based on those thoughts. Right. 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 So, you know, when my daughters would begin to say things that I was familiar with those thoughts, Mm. I'm like, okay, can we talk about that thought? Like, how do you know that's true? Mm. And, you know, because what we believe produces what we think, which produces what we feel, which produces what we do. do, So so I watch what they do. I listen for what what they say they're reverse engineer it really because you're working backwards. Right. Mm -hmm. So when they tell me what they're thinking, I'm asking them, how do you know that? Yeah. Right. And when they tell me how they know that I'll usually get to the belief, Mm. right? Like I'm not valuable. Right. Mm. Okay. How do you know that? Who told you that? Right. And what could be just as true, if not truer than you're valuable. Now, valuable is a whole thing. I don't, I I think that um, whether I'm valuable or not is a done conversation. The very fact that you have life, you were, you were given value, right? Yeah. You you think that you think that it's, it's that maybe that that isn't a coin. In other words, because we have life, we are therefore valuable. Yes. I believe it's a, it's one of the things our ego uses or our villain uses to help us avoid life. Cause if, if I decide I'm not valuable, then I give myself a lot of permission to hold myself back. Right. Right. 
But if I can be with the human conversation of value and worth and see it for what it is, it's a trick. Hmm. Right. Because it's not it's it wasn't for me to decide if I was valuable enough to have life. I have life. So it's a done deal. Right. Already done. The real conversation is how can I create value in this moment? Hmm. How can I offer value to this moment? And then it allows me to presence myself as a human being with the power to make a difference in the moment where when I'm in the conversation of am I valuable, I take myself out and I wait for someone to give me permission Mm -hmm. to make a difference, which doesn't happen. And you could could be waiting forever. (laughs) Exactly. Right. Right. So it's two different conversations. So I invite my kids into thinking about the conversation. What's the future coming towards you in that conversation? Mm -hmm. What do you get out of it? What Mm -hmm. happens? All right. Now, what what could be what's another reality that could be true? Like, could it be true that it doesn't you you don't get to decide if you have value? You're alive as long as you have value, as long as you have breath, you're valuable. Now, what happens if you have the conversation of how can I create value in this moment, right? What is the value of what's happening right in front of me? And how can I get a jump in the stream with it? Right. Oh my goodness. I mean, one of the, I mean, it, it strikes me that one of the reasons that we're value is valuable is because we have the, the capacity to create beautiful, wonderful things and to be valuable to others. Like we are valuable because we have the capacity to be, to be valuable for other people. It, that that's, we come right back full circle, Right. right. Not not the to most, mention ourselves, but right. right. Like the most meaning, the most meaningful moments in life is where I make a difference for another. Mm-hmm. When I connect human to human and we see each other in a way that like, like I know I made a difference in that person's life and it was bigger than me. Like mm-hmm. I was just a vessel that happened to be there that it flowed through. That is what makes life meaningful. And these conversations like I'm, I'm not valuable. I don't have what it takes. I'm not capable. They're all designed to block us from stepping into the moments where I make the biggest difference in the world, Mm. create the greatest value of my life out of my life by simply being a vessel that everything good flows through to another human being. And I get to be a, a, a witness and a partner and simply a vessel of it. That's a beautiful thing. I feel like I just heard the director say, and see. <laughs> really? I mean, that was really, and what's funny is like this, this last, this fourth and last talk that we've done here is, is the one that we didn't have. I have one line attract attraction that creatives have to depression. That's all I had <laughs> for this one. It's really all I wanted to be honest with you. After I saw it, I was like, I don't want any more. We're just going to jump into this. one. Yeah. There's, there's a lot there. I, this is, this is, I have a few of these that I, that I process repeatedly over and over afterwards, and this will be one of them. And this is what makes all the other ones that, that all the other ones lead into this one, right? As far as the more I can get to know my inner workings, right. the more I can learn to communicate in a way that holds a neutral space for humans to be humans, the more They're I can all connected. The more I can offer empathy and understanding, the more meaningful moments come out of my life. Thank you at beautiful underscore outcome on Instagram, Julia Woods. Thank you, Jed. Until next time.